0: I was uh, 12 years old or so, and my friends and I were on our huffy bicycles at the Barrington train station, playing bike tag, uh, having so much fun. I remember I didn't have a, a huffy. I still had one of those uh, banana seat bikes that was so uncool. Um, but we we're playing bike tag in the, the train station and. Uh, flying around the parking lot, and one of my friends saw a magazine that was tucked into the railroad ties uh, on this retaining wall. And he went over and pulled out the magazine, and very quickly, the game of bike tag ended. And all of us gathered around, looking down at this magazine, and uh, I was absolutely shocked and in wonder at what I saw just page after page after page of naked women. And we stared down at that magazine the first time any of us had seen anything like this, just in in awe of what we were seeing. And I've thought back about that uh, experience, and, and I wonder if it's what Adam and Eve's experience was like when God said, you know, you've got all these trees, but don't eat of this one, this forbidden fruit for if you do you will die Uh, and satan added to that if you do he knows your eyes are going to be opened and indeed when they ate of the forbidden fruit their eyes were open being able to distinguish good and evil experiencing good and evil and i think that was a little bit of what that experience for me was like my eyes were opened that day to some things the psalmist raises a question in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his ways pure? How can a young man keep his ways pure? Think about this for a second. This was before, long, long before, magazines like the one I just described even existed. This is long before R-rated movies. This is long before ads came in the mail like Victoria's Secret, these catalogs. This is long before streaming pornographic images and videos that can be done freely, anonymously, and instantly. So if that was a question back then, how can a young man keep his way pure? Boy, is that a question today how i was in a, a group of less young men elder elder men uh, a couple weeks ago and we we're praying through the psalm 119 and we came to this one and and everyone laughed a little bit like we're we're older men this is no longer an issue for us and we all understood in the laugh the, the sarcasm in that laugh how can any of us keep our way pure we're in a series titled The Cost of Discipleship, uh, and we've been using Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book as kind of a guide uh, to lead us through this subject, and he, in his book, turns to the Sermon on the Mount, and he works his way through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and so we're doing that today, and I just want to remind you of the context of this sermon, Jesus is surrounded by a great crowd of people. They've come from everywhere as spectators, largely. They want to see Jesus. They want to witness him and experience him firsthand. And Jesus sees this large crowd and decides to withdraw from the crowd with a small group of his disciples. And then he begins to instruct his disciples. And the purpose of his instruction is really to differentiate what is a disciple versus what is a member of the crowd. So as my disciples, he's saying, I have some expectations of of how it is that you are to live. Hello? Check, check. Did I just die? Check, check. What happened? All right. Check, 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 check. All right. Where was I? Uh, where was I? Huh? Feel f- I'm taking help here. <laughs> Disciples versus the crowd. And so he's giving us instruction to, to help us differentiate what, are, what is the life that you're called to live as a disciple. And, and last week, uh, he began with the sixth commandment. You've heard it said, thou shall not murder. Now, everyone in the crowd also probably held that same value. Yes, murder is a bad thing, but Jesus went a step further. But I tell you, you shouldn't be angry with your brother or sister. You shouldn't be hostile with them. You shouldn't say cruel words to them. For if you do, you're you're in danger of hell. And so today, he continues from the sixth commandment. He moves to the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, we invite you this morning to tell us what we may not want to hear and show us what we may not want to see so that we might become all of who you've created us to be. I pray that you would govern my words this morning. I pray that you would govern our hearing this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let me deal with those last couple of verses right away. I I don't want anyone gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand as a result of this sermon. What Jesus is trying to communicate is the urgency uh, of dealing with this. Like, if you've got a problem here, don't let it slide. Deal with it immediately. So the psalmist question, can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? pure proves to us that this this issue this sexual temptation is nothing new it has been around forever and that shouldn't surprise us it's not surprising that satan would choose to attack one of the greatest gifts that god has given a a husband and wife of course he wants to attack this blessing and turn it into a curse he wants to poison it and he wants to pervert it So before we we jump too deeply into the passage, I, I do have one quick observation, and that is that Jesus seems to be speaking particularly to men. He seems to be speaking particularly to men. The lust of the eyes, while not exclusively a male problem, is pervasive among men in a way that it's not with women and let me defend men for a second, it's not because we're pigs. It's not because men are pigs. God has wired men and women differently. Men's sexual motor has a a higher RPM than, than most women. Men have a visual ignition switch that can be tripped in an instant. Women tend to have a more relational ignition switch. So, Jesus is speaking primarily to us men, but there is certainly guidance here for all of us. You've heard it said, Thou shalt not murder. That's the sixth commandment. And then Jesus ups the ante, but I tell you, don't be angry with anyone. And now he moves to the seventh commandment, and he's going to do the exact same thing. You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, with murder, there's there's genuine general consensus. Yes, that's a bad thing. With uh, adultery, maybe not as much general consensus. And there's been a, a lot of cultures and, and times in history where it's accepted. But if you do look through history, what you'll often find that is that there is a double standard. There's a double standard with sexual sin. If a wife was caught in an act of adultery in many cultures and at many times that was legal grounds for her to be killed. And if a a husband was caught in an act of adultery, there often were no consequences. It was just kind of a wink-wink, boys will be boys. There's a reason when we read John chapter 8, remember when the Pharisees bring a woman before Jesus caught in an act of adultery, why it's just a woman? Like, if they caught a woman in the act of adultery, wasn't there a man there? But he's surprisingly not brought before Jesus. So the world may differentiate, but but Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't differentiate. Thou shall not commit adultery. What is adultery? Simply, it's a sexual relationship between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse a sexual relationship between a married person and someone who's not their spouse wives should not commit adultery husbands should not commit adultery the marriage bed should be kept pure so the teaching is crystal clear it was crystal clear back then it's crystal clear today on this particular day jesus stepped away from the crowd with his small group of disciples and he called them to stop being boys he called them to be men you've heard it said thou shalt not commit adultery yes we've heard that it's the seventh commandment but i tell you uh, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart so instead of identifying adultery as that one line that that we can't cross, but everything before that line is okay, Jesus ups the ante. The bar not to be crossed is looking at a woman lustfully and entertaining lustful thoughts in your mind. This, Jesus said, is adultery. It's adultery of the heart. So in short, any sexual activity of any nature, whether in thought or in deed with someone other than your spouse, is off limits. There's nothing confusing about that. So the question that we ask, is this even possible? I mean, that bar is set so high. Is this even possible? Has has he set the bar so high that nobody can clear it? I mean, we get the prohibition of adultery. But Jesus is saying that I'm an adulterer at the heart level just by entertaining lustful thoughts. if there was ever a teaching that contrasts the ways of the world, the crowd from the disciples, this is it. The world says, boys will be boys. God says, I'm looking for men. The world says, you can look, maybe you shouldn't touch. But God says, the eyes are the lamp of the body. The world says it's okay if nobody is getting hurt. God says sexual sin always hurts somebody. The world says God made me this way. I can't help it. If God didn't want me to sin in this this arena, He wouldn't have created me with such strong desires. But God says be self controlled. The world says, if you're going to do things God's way, you're going to miss out on a whole lot. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Cast off restraint. Live a little. But God says, my way is the best way. I designed you. Trust me, I know. And restraint is actually the pathway to freedom. The world says, just this once. Can't I dabble with just this one coal? But God says, among you, there must not even be any hint of sexual immorality. So God calls us unmistakably as his disciples to sexual purity. You are sexually pure when the only sexual gratification that you have comes from your spouse. For men, that's your wife. For women, that's your husband. For someone who is single, God calls us to restraint. He calls us to celibacy. Pursuing sexual gratification in any other manner other than what he has prescribed is what God describes as sexual immorality. Ephesians 5.3 makes it clear. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality because these are improper for God's holy people. So let's be honest, it all sounds so puritanical. It all sounds so prudish, so old fashioned, so legalistic. Why does God seem to care so much about this subject anyway? I I came up with three reasons. And the first is that he wants what's best for us. Like God genuinely wants what's best for us. These commands are not because he wants to keep us away from something good. These commands are given to us because he wants to give us something good. A satisfying, intimate relationship with your spouse in the context of a lifelong covenantal relationship is what God desires. The restraints aren't meant to keep us from a good thing. second thing that that I, I think why God is interested in this is because the covenantal relationship between a husband and a wife is meant to mirror God's relationship with us, God's covenantal relationship with us. God is a faithful spouse, if you want to say it that way. God doesn't cheat on us. He's faithful. And through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, God has said, I do, to us. And his I do never becomes I don't. The third reason is because I think this is one of those areas, one of the biggest areas that actually differentiates us from the world. This is what sets us apart. This is one of those things that sets us apart as God's holy people. Do you know in almost every New Testament book, every single one, the subject of of sexual immorality is addressed. Why is that? Well, people are coming to Christ and they live in the world. And so they've been raised in the world. They've been raised in, in these cultures that are as sexually permissive as our own. And so they're coming into the church, but they're bringing all of the, the world's values with them. And so they're needing to be instructed as God's children. This is how we're called to live. And so we're just going to go through it really quickly. To the Romans, Paul said, let us behave decently, not in sexual immorality. To the Corinthians, he wrote, Flee run, flee sexual immorality. To the Galatians, he said, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. To the Ephesians, we've already said, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. To the Colossians, he said, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. To the Thessalonians, he said, is it God's will It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. In Hebrews, it says marriage should be honored and the marriage bed kept pure. In Peter, it says you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in lust. And to the church in Thyatira, God says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. In almost every book, this is addressed. God's word is clear. That is not our problem, that we don't understand what God desires of us. The challenge that confronts us is not discerning what God commands. The challenge is how do we live up? to such high expectations. You and I both know the world is rotting from within. And one of the reasons is because of sexual sin. It is a global problem. It is a huge problem in the United States. The United States is the number one consumer of child sex. Think about that for a second the number one consumer of trafficking is the United States. 463,000 people are raped in our country every year, and that's just what we know about. 463,000. It's estimated that one in every six women will experience that. There are roughly 700 babies that are being aborted annually. All of those abortions are, are tied to most often tied to sexual sin. Marriages are being decimated because of sexual sin. Families are being torn apart because of sexual sin. Twelve-year-old boys riding around on their bicycles at the, the train station, they don't need to find a magazine anymore. Every single one of them has in their pocket a phone, has instant access to not even just images, but videos, free, anonymous, instant. And they're looking at things that are permanently changing their brain, putting a stamp on their brain. We've got a problem. Yes, Jesus' words to us may seem prudish. In this world, they seem prudish. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Do you think Jesus might know something that maybe we don't? Maybe he's got some wisdom in this area that, that we don't, that this world doesn't. So again, the question, is it possible? Is it possible to have victory in this area? And the answer is yes, it is possible. But we need to have a plan. We need to have a battle plan. All of us need that. We men especially need that. So our battle plan, it begins by first just acknowledging God's command. God's command. We've got to be honest with it. We've got to stop thinking, you know, one coal is okay, two coals are okay. No, God says not even a hint of sexual immorality. You know, There are, are some addictions that require the addict to be slowly weaned of the substance because the substance is so powerful. Uh, sexual addiction is not one of those. This is not one of those things that you, you taper down if you do the the scripture says you're going to just have a continual lust for more one coal is going to be enough to just keep you hooked it's something where we're called to just absolute obedience and so number one our battle plan is acknowledge let's just be honest what god calls us to let's stop playing games let's be honest battle plan number two for men everything begins with our eyes everything begins with our eyes Job, in the Treasure Seekers and Sunshine Choir, we talked about Job this last Wednesday. Job was a righteous man, a blameless man. And you want to know one of the reasons he was righteous and blameless? He had a battle plan. This was a man who had a battle plan. In Job 31, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Like he thought about it, How am I going to win this battle? Because the battle's real. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. How do you keep water from boiling? You turn down the heat. The way we turn down the heat is by learning, training ourselves to bounce our eyes away from temptation, away from those things that are going to take our mind down a road we know we shouldn't travel. Instead of training our eyes to be like heat-seeking eyes, we've got to train them just the opposite. Train to bounce your eyes. And then we have to move to our minds as part of our battle plan. As always, the battlefield is always the mind. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, take captive every thought. In other words, we need to think about what we're thinking about. And as humans, we have this incredible gift to be able to do that, to actually think about what we're thinking about. And when we're thinking about things that we know are not helpful, we've gotta learn to take that captive. One of the greatest ways that we can do that is by filling our mind with truth. I'm a huge advocate for memorizing scripture because when you're in one of those moments where you're, you're battling, it doesn't work to just say, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it. You've got to actually bounce your mind to something that, that's healthy, I'm trying to recite scripture. Battle plan moves on. If you are married... Part of the battle plan is attend to your relationship with your spouse. Invest in your relationship with your spouse. I used to think before marriage that once I got married, all of my challenges in this arena, all of my temptations was just going to go away. Like marriage was going to solve everything. And every person who's married knows that that's not the case. The battle persists. And so you, we need to attend to our, our relationship. One of the reasons that, that pornography is such a, a, an addictive thing that is pulling so many people in is because it's easy. It's not a real person. There's no relationship that needs to be managed. There's no possibility of rejection. Now, I, I know the, the male mind, uh, if you feel like you're in a marriage and your needs are just not getting met... That is not justification to go find another way to get your needs met. Men, we need to hear that. It is not a justification if you think, you know, things aren't, aren't right in my marriage. I'm going to get my, my legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way. That's not okay. God calls us to be men, not boys. Sexual impurity isn't the result of just one misstep. It's the result of a series of missteps, a series of bad decisions. Likewise, holiness isn't going to be the result of making one good decision. It's going to be making a series of good decisions, training ourselves to make good decisions over and over and over. This is true. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are free from the power of sexual immorality satan would like to have you believe i'm not free the prison door is open christ's death opened the prison doors we are free we need to choose to walk out of our our prison final part of the battle plan we need help and and i'll speak specifically to men One of the reasons this has such a grip on so many people is because there's tremendous amounts of shame attached to it and god and satan uses that shame to keep us quiet women need women men need men we need help we need people to encourage us we need people to to keep us accountable and so i want to appeal to to all the men today young men old men If you're struggling at all with any kind of sexual temptation, any challenges in this area, I want you to reach out. Reach out to me. Uh, There's a book that I would like to work through with people. It's called Every Man's Battle. It's uh, been around for a long time, but it is so good. And there is healing, but we need to do it together. So text me, email me, talk to me. Um, let's, Let's help one another. How can a young man keep his way pure? It is so good in the psalm that that question wasn't just left hanging. As if there's, it's impossible. The psalmist continues, by living according to your word. There is a path to healing. There is a path to freedom. It's time. It's time for us to, to take that path as obedient children to stop conforming to the path.